0: Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. I invite you to check out almost 3,900 film reviews at that website, Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Lights Out is today's film that I'm going to be reviewing. It is a low budget horror film. It cost about $5 million in the production budget. It definitely has made more than that at the box office, taking in about four times that much just in its opening weekend alone. It is a film that is actually getting some critical acclaim. It has about 75% or so on Rotten Tomatoes and even garner the vaunted certified fresh rating on that but uh, just barely on that one it's a pg-13 rated horror film it has terror throughout violence that includes disturbing images some thematic material and brief drug content it runs a very short hour and 21 minutes the cast includes Teresa palmer maria bello gabriel bateman alexander de persia and billy burke the director is david f sandberg and the screenplay is by eric haser Lights Out really explores or delves into a common fear that we as humans have, which is a fear of the dark, and that fear mostly stems from, I guess, an innate fear of the unknown. It's very difficult or sometimes even impossible to see in the dark, and depending on the levels of that darkness, our minds tend to go into overdrive in anticipating what kind of nastiness might actually lurk in those voids that we cannot see. Capitalizing on that theme, this film is directed by a first-time feature helmer named David F. Sandberg. He's a Swedish filmmaker who is here fleshing out his own three-minute short film of the same name from 2013 with this screen adaptation from Eric Hayser. His Lights Out plays with those fears of the dark in constructing this story in which the malevolent force of the film is actually a creature of the dark It's empowered whenever and wherever there is the absence of light to the point where those who've seen her, as this malevolent force appears to be a female, those people who want to fight back against her have to keep a light source with them at all times for fear of the madness that results from the terror or perhaps even resulting in a grisly death at her hands. The main story of Lights Out involves a dysfunctional family. They're in particularly in dire trouble now that the depressed mother named Sophie, played by Maria Bello, has begun to exhibit signs of mental illness that she thought her medications had all but completely eradicated. We learn that Sophie's first husband has been missing under mysterious circumstances and none of the family know what happened to him. Though we do get to see that hubby number two at the beginning of the film, is actually brutally murdered by this supernatural force while he's in his workplace. Although there's barely even a mention of this event from the family afterward, curiously. It's basically completely forgotten somehow by this family. Sophie's daughter, who's a long-suffering but very estranged from her mother nowadays named Rebecca, played by Teresa Palmer... Rebecca no longer chooses to visit Sophie now that she's taken a turn for the worse, and that leaves Sophie's young preteen son named Martin, played by Bateman, in a very vulnerable spot. He's all alone with his mentally sick mother and this entity that she's always talking to in the shadows. As Martin begins to see this entity for himself, he begins to reach out for help, His half-sister, Rebecca, reluctantly gets thrust back into her family issues that have haunted her for many years now because she experienced many of these things when she was living with Sophie. And eventually that leads to her having to get to the bottom of the jealous evil presence that's in the house that her mother is calling Diana, who lives and kills in the dark recesses of the house. And as we learn in the beginning of the film, other places... Now, while it's been generally getting favorable reviews from most media sources, you won't be able to count mine among them, even though I do think that it's better than a lot of PG-13 rated jump scare flicks that come out in the last year. Some of them were produced by James Wan. James Wan gets a producer credit here because he was the catalyst for getting this film made based on that short that he saw from Sandberg. This film establishes a certain set of rules regarding where and when Diana, who we see in silhouette form for most of the film, can exist, determined purely by whatever Sandberg dictates from scene to scene. It doesn't really make a lot of logical sense. Diana never seems to leave the house to attack the family members when they might be most vulnerable, which is they wouldn't have known that Diana cannot really leave the house, or they would have assumed that, and gone somewhere else, and Diana could have easily dispatched them there, but yet she remains in the house. But we've already established at the very first scene of this film that Diana is at the husband's place of employment far away in the prologue to the movie. So obviously Diana can pretty much exist anywhere there's darkness, I would imagine, from that scene, but it's never really mentioned what the actual parameters are. And this brings up another issue with many horror films in recent years, which is that... Families involved in the hauntings seem to be almost like they're trapped in their own little universe that exists outside of our own. Their houses seem to be free of a lot of history except to reestablish family through pictures or drawings and that's certainly in play here. There are external characters that get into this story so there is the semblance that this family exists within A known universe, but they seem to be only in the film to serve a vital purpose for the plot. Do any of these characters have friends? You know, we never see anybody randomly call or even pop by. Their neighbors never hear the perpetual screams that seem to be coming from within the house next door. Police do get involved at some point in this film, but you know, they, they basically are just there again as part of the props for the plot. So this entire film features locales and characters that only feel like idealized sketches of reality instead of real life, and that can be a little bit frustrating in trying to take this film at all seriously. As with many other horror films too, the story requires complete obliviousness to obviousness. Here we see the opening scene that I mentioned, the father's on the phone while he is confronted by a shaken coworker who Diana has shown herself to for reasons that really are still mystifying to me. She tries to warn him that there's someone or something in the building and he should definitely be wary. He impatiently tells her while he's still on the phone that he needs to continue this call and to basically buzz off. And as soon as she's gone he spends all of three seconds wrapping up that phone conversation that just could not wait and hanging up. I mean, couldn't he have just told his coworker to wait a few seconds and he would have known exactly what to be aware of? But of course, the film necessitates that he not know what actually is out there. So just another one of those mindless things that they put into this movie to establish the malevolent force out there. One other thing that kind of irked me, and this is incidental, and this will vary as far as whether it even impacts you at alone. There's a lot a product placement here, and it's particularly obnoxious when you know that this is a film that's made for Warner Brothers Studios. As such, we see Warner Brothers properties all over the place, all over the house. We get DC Universe characters, there are posters, there's action figures depicting Superman and Batman, and the Justice League, which coincidentally happen to have an upcoming movie, all over the young boys' room. In the older half-sister's house, there's the heavy metal act Avenge Sevenfold, who happens to be one of the heavy hitters from the metal department from Warner Brothers. They get prominent poster placement in that apartment, though the band, you know, coincidentally has been trying to leave the label in recent months. I wasn't really quick enough to see what the band is that appears on a cell phone, the screen of a character who uses it as a light source, shows the name of a band as if he was listening to their music probably at some point. So we see basically another ad here. I don't know what the band is, but I would wager to guess that it's one that's also affiliated with Warner Music. There are some elements still, even though I'm nitpicking here, that are refreshing. For one... The main female protagonist, Rebecca, is not that kind of innocent, virginal, goody-goody that we typically see in horror films. Rebecca here is a metalhead. She doesn't really see the need for a committed relationship of any time with the opposite sex. She's willing to engage in casual sex without any necessary promise for more. Certainly, that's something that's not seen very much in these kinds of movies. Her most long-lasting of these recent hookups is her current boy toy that we see, Brett. He's also quite a novelty in horror cinema. He's this wannabe boyfriend. He's used primarily for light comic relief in this film. Brett values more than just sex with Rebecca, and he wants to pursue something real, even trying to get his foot in the door, proverbially, by leaving one of his socks in Rebecca's clothes bureau, and that it is promptly rejected. So that's something you don't typically see. I would have liked to have seen more of those character touches to at least make these characters seem somewhat real. At 81 minutes, Lights Out is, at the very least, it doesn't stay beyond what's necessary for the film. Even if you're not really swept up in the standard horror movie developments, if you happen to be a fan of these kind of jump-scare horror movies, you know, this is definitely not the worst of its type. There are lighting effects here that are pretty cool. I'll give it that much, too. The film features a pretty good cast assembled on its very low $5 million budget. Sandberg does show a lot of promise in putting together some tension in his horror moments, even if the buildup could have been much better than what's eventually delivered. But unfortunately, the thin story elements are the main liability. They merely serve us only that information necessary to deliver standard booga booga jump scares that only a complete neophyte to horror would not see coming. As for anything resembling logic or what people in real life might do in their respective situations of these characters, this is something that the film just does not want to deal with and makes the entire premise feel Solely like a setup to a superficial sensory stimuli experience with a clumsy attempt at a depression metaphor instead of a means to tell a fully fleshed out story with real characters that we can be invested in, that's something that could have taken what ends up being kind of a gimmicky horror thriller into something that more than just genre fans could relate to. So as quickly vanishing from the mind as... The Diana character is from one's vision. Once you emerged from the darkened theater back into the light outside, you won't be leaving the lights on after seeing this tepid attempt at terror. I'm giving Lights Out two and a half stars out of four. And two and a half stars on my scale means that I think it's a mediocre film. It's pretty much run of the mill as far as I'm concerned in terms of horror films. Those of you who have been listening to my show for a while will probably know that I'm not a very strong proponent of superficial horror. I know that a lot of people enjoy just going into movie theater and experiencing jump scares from beginning to end. But for me, I like to follow a story that's interesting. I like to see characters that I'm invested in, and that, to me, really actually makes me afraid. the the jump scares that are in this film or pretty much any PG 13 horror rated film that does not invest in characters or its story is really boring to me because I can see those things coming. I know they rely on a lot of shrieking music and tricks of light and darkness in order to scare us. If I took the story of lights out and I related it around a campfire to a bunch of kids, they probably would laugh at me because it's not that scary. So I cannot recommend Lights Out, unfortunately, even though it's more competently made than most of its ilk. It's still another example of it, though. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you do, I do encourage you to check out some of my previous podcast episodes and find out what else I think about some movies that you may have seen over the last year and a half or so, just search for the Quipster Film Review Podcast. While you're there, feel free to leave a review after you've listened to a few episodes. It definitely helps get the word of mouth out necessary to make this podcast worth continuing. Also, if you happen to be a longtime listener for the show, the best way that you can support the show is to actually support it monetarily, and that you can do that by going to patreon.com slash quipster and leaving a pledge i'm not asking from anybody more than a dollar a month and for that dollar you get about 15 or 20 new films reviewed within the course of that month so pretty cheap far as i'm concerned but it makes a big difference in terms of how many movies i can see and also keeping up with the audio quality of the show as well as the hosting to be able to deliver these podcasts to you on a mostly daily basis Until next time, thanks everyone.